Welcome to the Mindset Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Carl. And my name is Didier. We would like to take a moment just to mourn the sponsors that we have lost in this process. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. I'm joined here by essentially one of um, an important person in my ultra pursuit, Akbar. Nice to be here. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna, we'll start this off probably by talking about how we... we how we met. met on the ultra, ultra journey. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Should I start? You can start. Okay, so um, a few years back, I decided to go run a race in the Sahara Desert called uh, Marathon de Saab, MDS which is 250 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. And um, before that, I'd never run more than 10 kilometers. And that was my introduction to ultra running, endurance running. And I was hooked. So when I came back from the Sahara Desert, I was like, I want to do more of this stuff. And I signed up for a few more races and I started training for it properly because I wanted to go do UTMB and everything. And my coach at that time, or still is my coach, Marcus Smith from Inner Fight in Dubai, started training me in Dubai. And we, we used to go on these crazy training runs in the desert and in the mountains. And on one of those particular training runs, I came across um, this guy called Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle loves telling the story. Yeah. <laughs> and Kyle loves telling the story. But let me set it up for you in the in the way that I was training for a 137 kilometer uh, single stage race through the Omani Mountains. So the point of this particular training session was to stay on your feet for as long as possible, do as much elevation as, much, as you can, uh, run, walk through the night, feel the heat of the day, the cold of the night, like experience everything in 24 hours and see how you could, how much you could do. So it was essentially a loop. We went up the mountain, we came down the mountain. We came up the mountain, we came down the mountain. And I think at that time, I had to do as many loops as I could in a 24 hour window. And Turkayo. Did you carry <laughs> that for 24 hours? Well, that was the plan. I don't know if you remember what happened at the end. I just remember that I was fucked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my favorite story because, I mean, that is the most life-changing thing I've ever done. Like, nothing I've done since then can be compared to that 37 kilometers that I did because, I mean, I just started, right? So I signed up for a Mon 55K as a 106-kilo bodybuilder. And I mean, you know, obviously decided I needed a coach and started training with Rob from in a fight. And like, I think that was one of my first weeks. I mean, I think I did a few 30 minute runs built up to, I think before that it was like a, an 8K on the treadmill before, in the aircon, in the aircon gym. But like running was never an important part of your training right you never thought of uh, running long distances no to be honest it's just you know moved to dubai 
it's always been so easy for me to put on muscle. It wasn't fulfilling me anymore. And then, you know, I got into this, this loop where I just couldn't, I couldn't bear to fucking do another bicep call in the mirror anymore. <laughs> like, I, I literally couldn't. Like, it was just, it came too easy. Yeah. Like, it wasn't fulfilling. So I actually trained a guy, Jeremy, and he actually trained in a fight, and he was training for ultramarathons, and he came to me for strength work because he, he wanted to, he didn't want to lose so much muscle, and he wanted to, like, stay, like, injury-free. Then he started telling me about ultramarathons. I was like, I could do that. So I signed up for a mon, not even knowing what elevation was or anything. And I have to say, when Rob put, I'm sure when Rob put that training thing in your training peaks, cat springs, like that, for us, that particular session was a, was a big test for the ones who'd done ultras before or were, you know, gearing up for Oman because it was, even though it was in the heat of the summer, it was a good benchmark for us to prepare for us for the race, which was going to be in November. So we were going into that weekend and Cat Springs, which is to just give people perspective. It's actually not Dubai. It's like an hour and a half drive from Dubai. It's in the mountains. It's quite, it's like a village town, right? Yeah. Um, but it's this deadly mountain where it, it's six kilometers up and six kilometers down with a thousand meter elevation. So that was going to be a really good benchmark for us in terms of where we were fitness wise. So because we were already doing this, he, I'm sure that's why he put in it for you to see, come check it out. We'll just see like how far I could, how far I could go. I mean, he's, I know that like he's put things like the stepper that I did for 12 hours, like afterwards, like I, I felt like I failed because I was supposed to climb the height of Mount Everest on the stepper. And he worked it out to like 53,000 steps or something like that or... And I mean, essentially, I got like to about 6,000 meters elevation equivalent on the stepper. And I was fucked. My back, my back had seized up. And essentially, like, yeah, so I quit. Like, you know, I was like, you know, I made up in my mind this is far. Like, on the thing, it told me I'd done 75 kilometers on a stepper, gone through the night, 12 hours and 20 minutes. I justified to quit. And I, I felt so shit about myself. And afterwards, it was like, no, mate, I just wanted to see how far you could fucking go. Like, who's going to do that? And I was like, geez. But yeah, like Cat Springs, I rock up there knowing absolutely nothing. We drive up to the top of the mountain. I'm with all these guys that I'm meeting for the first time. I'm massive. I think I'm about 106 or 108 kilos of muscle. And I know nothing. And... We run down, I run down the hill with you guys, and I think you guys are running six minutes a K. And I'm thinking, cool. And I've never run six minutes a K. Fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> you know what I mean? For like that distance. And I run, and I remember at about three Ks, I start bombing out, and I start slowing down. And Rob says to me, no, 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 like, I'll slow down. And I'm like, no, 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 just go, bro, I'll find my way. Not knowing, like, I don't know the loop. But I, my ego, I'm like, no, 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 go, 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 go. And after that, I'm screwed. And I know nothing about nutrition here, right? So, I mean, as a bodybuilder, you don't really eat on while you train. Do you know what I mean? Like you have multidextrin and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not so like tuned into the running. 
So all I remember is I had two goo gels <laughs> and they told me to get these goo uh, electrolyte things, but I don't know really how, how to use them. So I'm just throwing them in my fucking camelback, right? That dreaded camelback. And I got two goo gels on me. And, and, and up back at the car, I had some bagels. And Rob said to me, you know, do two or maybe three laps. So I'm like, yeah, I can do that, right? And so the, we, by lap, we mean six kilometers up, six kilometers yeah, down. So it's so a 12 kilometer loop. 12 K with a thousand meters of elevation. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hell of a run. So, yeah, so we, we head down and I start bombing out. Then I'm going and I, I, now I can't see where they are. So I just keep running. And I see these Arab guys and I say to them, have you seen my friends? They're like, yo, yo, they just keep going straight, keep going straight. So I go straight. Now I can't see anyone. So I, I climb up this like heap of rocks to see them. And I see these guys on the other side. So I run back and these Arab guys are laughing at me. Now you can't do nothing to these people, right? So I'm just like, what dicks? So then I make my way up to the path where I can see like through the goat sheds and stuff. And I start climbing. And bro, I don't know nothing about fucking climbing, right? So I've, I've just had, I think I had two goos. It's, it's been like three hours and I've had like two goos. I've blown myself out <laughs> the first three Ks and now I'm bonking, but I don't know what bonking is. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what bonking is. And eventually I get back, like, oh no, so like, I'm going and, and, and we started at like, what, 5 p.m. So now it starts to become dark. And now I start stressing, bro. Like, I've never felt like this before. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what this feels like. I'm bonking and I just, I just, I, I remember like, I'm like, fuck me. Like, I'd rather just die than be here. And it's so, dark. Yeah, it's dark. And I don't know if, I, I'm going up a mountain, but I don't know if I'm going in the right direction. So it's a mission for me to go up, but I don't know if I'm going in the right direction. So I send a message to the group. Hey guys, I don't know where I am. No one answers, right? Eventually, I keep going up and Marcus sends a message. Where are you? So I send him a thing. He's like, made you 700 meters away. But I mean, it's 700 meters up, right? <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, just keep going forward. And I'm like, I don't know what's forward. And bro, like I'm pissed off. I'm like, I'm fucking done. I hate this shit. This is the, why would I want to do this? Because I'm just bonking. I don't, I'm like, why would anyone want to go through this shit? And I finally get up to the top. And it was like, when I saw that car, bro, I've never been, it was like, I saw God. Like the light. I was like, jeez. And I get up You there, saw the light. I saw the light. I take my shoes off. I, I take my shit off. I'm like, fuck this, I'm done. I get like a little bagel, I try to bite it. I feel sick. I sit down on the cooler box next to Holly, his wife, and Marcus just looks at me and goes, hey mate, have a sausage. So I'm like, no bro, I can't eat. He's like, no, it'll give you energy on your next lap. I'm like, fucking next lap, I'm gonna do another lap. Are you crazy? And his wife goes, Marcus, leave the guy alone. Leave the guy alone, like he's fucked. Like, just leave him. And then it all goes quiet and he's like, cool, mate. What did you fucking come here for? And I was like, oh my God. So without saying anything, like, and I had a few sausages. I went to the car. I got, I think I had a bagel, like one bagel now. So I'm like two gels, two sausages and a bagel down. It's, what was it? 40, I think it was 42 degrees. Like 
like seventy eight percent humidity. If I can plus you're not correct. you're not used to the the amount of nu- hydration. Like you need to be drinking the whole time. You're yeah, not used to that. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know if I was drinking that much water. So I put my shoes back on, and then Marcus sees me go. Like I'm just pissed off. Like now I'm just using my rage to go. So I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm doing. And then Marcus sees me going, and he says, "Mate, just go down the same way you came, so you don't get fucking lost again. Like just go down." 4Ks and then come back 4Ks. So I was like, cool. So now I'm running down this and he's like, started clapping for me and made me feel good about myself. So I'm running down here like a little fucking hero because now it's easy downhill, right? So I'm feeling strong on the downhill. I'm going slower now. I'm not getting Sausages are helping. Yeah, sausages are helping. And then I work out, okay, well, two laps were supposed to be um, 24Ks and I'd done 15. So I'm going to go down like, what, four and a half, come back four and a half. So I go down exactly like whatever it is, four and a half, whatever was going to get me to 24Ks. And bro, when I turned around, I was like, I fucked up. Like, it was so easy to go down. <laughs> now I've got to go back up. And now... Plus, I think now it's like, the sun's up and it's the hottest part of the no, day. No, no, no. This is still like, this is like now 12 o'clock at night. Oh, okay, like, got you. No, this is like, this is the middle of the night still. And it's, I mean, it's still hot, but I mean, it's human. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm like now... So now I'm pushing up and I start bonking again. I don't know what the fuck's going on. All I can remember is at one point I'm taking like two steps and I'm just falling down. And two steps and I'm falling down. And I'm feeling fucking dizzy. And it sounds dramatic, but it was like I was like I was in a movie. And next minute, the one time I, I just, you know, like I'm like I'm freaking out of it. I just I stand up, I go like two meters and I fall down and I lay on my back and I'm just like, bro, I can't. And I look up to the sky and all I remember is like the stars just start spinning and then boom, I'm out, okay? And then I remember I wake up and I'm cool. It's not hot anymore. Because you've obviously slept for a while. I don't know how long I slept for, just passed out. So my body had cooled down and I look at my phone and Rob's like, bro, where are you, mate? Like, are you okay? And I'm like, fucking coming out. So I turn around and I push up this hill. Not push, like go slowly, but I'm just like, I need to get up. I need to get up. And I'm like, you know, sitting in rocks and I'm just like, fucking, I don't know I need to eat. Like I haven't really eaten anything now since then because I think I took another gel with me. And eventually I get back up there and I'm just like, bro, I've lost my sense of humor. I just like say nothing. And Rob, oh no, they, they put me on their stretcher, like, He's like, uh, I think Rob's like lying on my stretcher, but I'm full of dirt. And they're like, bro, why are you full of fucking dirt? Are you lying, rolling around or what? And I'm just like, I'm just so happy to be back up there. And then Rob says to me, no, but you can sleep in the back of my car, which is parked on a hill. And it's a <laughs> FJ Cruiser that's got like plastic seats and I'm sweating and sliding up and down this thing. So I don't sleep. I, I remember lying there and I think like, as soon as I fell asleep, all I heard was Marcus. Okay, next round. And I'm like, <laughs> you're my bro. <laughs> and you know, like the guys were getting like supportive of me, like um, Nabil and stuff. And they, you know, they said, bro, take my poles. These things help you. And I was like, how do I use them? He's like, just use them for the way up. So I was like, and they're like don't worry. We're all going to go slow. It's too hot. It's never been this hot since we've been here. Like, this is crazy temperatures. Like, just come with us. And I go down with them and I do the, and the same thing, like where we do the full loop. Then we come back and now I've got to climb and I just can't keep up with these guys. I'm like, just go ahead. And I climb up, climb up. And now it's like, you know, it's becoming hot. Like the sun's up, it's hot. 
And I'm just, I just want to get to the, I just want to finish the shit, you know? And I, and I remember like, there was just got to one spot where there was a pile of rocks and there was a little bit of shade from the rocks. And I lay in these rocks and I was like, why the fuck would anyone do this? Be like, this is, this is crazy. I don't know how these guys are doing it, right? And this lady runs up to me. Like, so other people came the next day. They didn't go through the night. And then this lady came up to me. She's like, okay. And I'm just cramping, right? So I'm lying on this rock, but I start cramping. Everything's cramping. I can't get in my bag because my biceps are cramping. Because now I don't, not drink no enough water. Yeah. No salts and stuff like that. So she comes up to me. She's like, okay. And I'm like, I can't move. Like, I'm cramping, right? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't even get up now. I can't get water out of my bag. I can't do anything. She says to me, how much salt have you taken? I'm like, why would I take salt? <laughs> and she's just like, Jesus. So then she takes out these salt tablets and she pours them in my hand, like four. She's like, take all of them. So like, I take all of them and then she gives me another four. She's like, put this in your bag. And if it doesn't get better, like keep taking the salt tablets. So I was like, cool. She's like, do you need me to wait to help? But like, you know, like it's your ego. You're like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm just happy to die. Here. Like, I don't care. Like. I'll lie here long enough, maybe I'll die, maybe someone will come fetch me. I don't fucking care anymore, do you understand? And then next minute, this guy That's comes. That's Akbar enters the story. Like the fucking Terminator <laughs> with his poles, just dish, dish, dish. And he looks at me and he's like, are you okay, mate? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just fucked. And he just says, what lap are you on? So I'm like, I'm going to lap three. He's like, okay. And then he keeps going a bit forward. So to be kind or like, you know, to, to be polite, I'm like, what, uh, what lap are you on? He's like, uh, it's my seventh. I was like, what the f <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to leave it, right? Because I've got nothing to say to that. <laughs> and he goes forward like two steps and he turns around he's like, are you fucking coming or what? And I'm like, how do you say to a guy on a seventh lap that I'm fucked? So I got up and literally we go, and I think it was like 100 meters to the end. And I get to the end and I just, I sat on Marcus's um, cooler. Cooler. And I was just <laughs> fucked. These guys left me alone because they were like, this guy's dead. Like, he, I, was, I was screwed. Man. But I couldn't, like, you know. I just couldn't understand what I just did because it's like, I can never do that again. You know, that was, that was the greatest moment of my entire life because I mean, yeah, like I've run like 200 and Ks in 50 degree heat, but like, I know when I'm bonking, I eat more. <laughs> I know when I'm cramping, I take salt. I didn't know what was going on there. And the only thing that could get me there was my sheer like will and like help from him like to say like get up you know what i mean it was the, the what i love about that story is um and i think that's that what happens on the endurance journey because when you're in the moment of this survival of this endurance whatever you're doing everything else kind of strips away and you're just in that moment and like for me to just walk past you and turn around and say to you are you coming there wasn't any message behind that, right? It was yeah. just, it was a pure, like, we were both in the moment of trying to achieve something, trying to reach some boundary or trying to overcome some boundary. And so within the moment, it was a quite simple thing for me to say. 
it was just one of the, maybe it was, I know now it was meant to be. Like I was meant to stop there, turn around and be like, are you coming? Like, you know, because what that did was, uh, you know, because I'd gotten into the endurance journey, I knew it was a, a lot of it is about community and helping each other get to these different levels. And I had that feeling within me and maybe that's what made me turn around and say that to you. But then for you to get up and do it, then that's what triggered something inside of you, right? Where you, then you were like, wait, hold on. If I can do this with everything that you've gone through and someone helped me, then that's kind of what we, why I'm doing this anyway, right? Yeah. I can help others. You pay it forward. You pay it forward. But in the moment, it's quite simple. It's like, well, we're in this together and we'll figure a way out. Because it's, in the moment, you're just thinking, okay, how do I get to the next step? I learned so many lessons that night and day. It's just, you know, I just remember like they dropped me off at the car and I still had to drive like two hours back to Dubai. <laughs> and I actually just phoned my wife because, but I didn't know what the hell was just happening. And I phoned Jenna and I just burst out crying. And I, all I could say to her was like, how the fuck did I do that? Like, how did I keep going? Like, I was just... I mean, it sounds dramatic because of what I've done afterwards, but in that point, like, bro, like, I was collapsing every two meters and, like, getting up and just collapsing every two meters. Like, I was fucked. My body gave up on me. Like, I didn't... I was 106 kilos. I was eating, like, 5,000 calories as a bodybuilder a day. Like, I burnt all my glycogen stored in the first, like, two hours and replenished nothing for over the next, I don't know how many hours. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just couldn't understand it, you know? And the things I learned from that was like, you know, and I posted on Instagram, like, no one's coming to save you. The greatest thing that, like, anyone's ever done for me was Marcus not coming to fetch me in the fucking car. Like, he taught me that no one is coming to save me. Do you know what I mean? And he's taught me that a lot. Totally. But, like... But I think you also put it into context really well because... Because of your life up till that point, like I remember I, I listened to one of your podcasts with Rob and Tom where you, you were quite eloquent in the way that, you know, what your life up till that point had been, which was quite, quite fucked up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people who know you know your story, you know, but because of that context and on that mountain, it was almost that that moment came together where you were like, no, but everything that has happened to me previously doesn't mean anything. Because from now on, I can, I can chart my own path or I can do it based on my own ability. That's what I was actually saying to Didier last night. I actually wrote something and said, you know, like that whole thing, we are not what happened to us, but we are, you know, what we chose to do about it. And... You know, I mean, I could have essentially just said, fuck this ultra running shit, this is way too hard and given up and I would never have changed the people's lives that I do today. Like there would be no mindset movement. I would never have done any ultra stuff. I wouldn't know Didier. Like I would probably have never spoken to you again. I would have gone on to... Well, I, I said to you afterwards, remember? I said to you, once you came up with me, and you sat on that cooler, 
and we were all there, so we could see what you were going through. Like we know, we everyone knew, but look, everyone has their own level of suffering at that point. Everyone's suffering, mm. so we were all suffering, but we could see that <laughs> your <laughs> Carl was suffering a bit extra. <laughs> Yours was a special kind of suffering. So we were giving you the space. Tapped out. <laughs> yeah, we were giving you the space. And, and I mean, I, I thought at that moment and I told you afterwards, I was like, he's only going to, there's only two ways from here. Once he go, gets off this mountain, he's never coming back. Or he's going to come back a completely changed person. And you, you then decided which path you were going to take. And the path you've taken has gotten to where you are. So it's, it's always... And I think that's why that story resonates with so many people, including myself, is that, you know, it was almost like that sliding door moment where you could have gone either way, but you chose yeah. a path that is actually more, more illustrative of who you actually are as a person and everything that you've gone through. And that's essentially what I teach my clients. It's like, you know, you can... What's so amazing about the, I say ultra, but in any running game, you know, like you, you go through things in ultra running or endurance that, you know, can relate to anything in your life. You know, there is always going to be setbacks. And I think people don't understand that. I mean, life is just fucking hard. Like it's not easy. And if it is easy, that's its own kind of fucking hard because when your life's too easy, that's difficult. You know what I mean? It's like, it's difficult to wake up with everything you want. You know? Well, comfort actually becomes a burden yeah. after a while. Like if you take people who've got everything in life, a lot of times they're completely lost within. Because yeah, fuck all else to do. Yeah, exactly. So then that's why they say you've got to get out of your comfort zone because, and for me in particular, I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned, and that's why I'm hooked on this uh, ultra thing, is that I've seen that every time... I put a challenge out there and every time I um, embrace pain or I embrace suffering, it's not just the running part, okay, I finish some races and I do this and that. No, it actually, the impact that it has on me as a, as a human, right? So it starts, it starts to impact you as a, as a person, as a professional, whatever line of work you're in what kind of work you're doing, it starts impacting you in terms of who you are as a husband, father, brother, whatever, your sister, mother, whatever. It starts impacting your personal life, how you deal with people, how you, you know, interact with people, how you view the world. Like it starts changing things. And that's why you talk to anyone who goes on, on these endurance journeys. It's the fact that they're starting to see an impact on every aspect of their life. That's what makes it so quite unique. Massively. I mean, you, everything you learn from Ultra basically makes you a better human being. It, it, it teaches you to be patient because if you rush your training, you're going to get injured. And if you get injured, it teaches you how to get bounce back from setbacks because you are going to get injured. And either you're going to what? Oh, I'm injured. Let me take a few months off here. Or I'm just going to do my own thing. Like we hear from clients, you know? Or... Are you going to say, coach, I've got this injury. The physio says I can do this. What can we do that's still going to project me towards my, my big goal? You know what I mean? 
It's like that kind of mindset. You know, I'll, I'll have clients that, you know, they get a little injury and everything falls out and, oh, maybe they'll start drinking and stop training. Like I'll put cycling in their program, but they won't do that because what's the point of cycling? Like I want to be a runner. Like do you do your rehab? No. Then I'll have clients get injured. Do you do a rehab? Yeah. Coach, um, it, you said I must do my rehab every day, but I'm doing it three times a day. Is that okay? And uh, I... Um, can we maybe up my cycling a little bit because I am feeling good. I spoke to the physio. Like, this is their mindset. And those are always the people that are just like, those are the people that always just push the envelope. Those are the people that always just, you know, essentially like go one more. They're always looking to get better. And no matter what happens in their life, that doesn't get them down, you know. And they didn't, they weren't just born like that. They didn't come to me like that. But I've taught them that over the time because I'm always the one saying, well, what the fuck can we do now? You know, it's like the physio says this. I mean, I've trained him for two years, right? Three years. Uh, Three years. It's like Didier and his fucking foot that gives us problems. My foot's sore. Cool. What can we do? Can we get on the bike? We got on the bike. Are we doing the rehab? Maybe let's talk to someone else, get a little bit more rehab. What do you think? Where are we lacking in the strength? Let's work on the strength. He doesn't go, oh, I'm going to take a month off and essentially probably fucking do nothing because that's what some of these people do. Like they will take a month off and in that month do nothing to make them better and come back worse than they were and then... And before expect- we get injured again. Yeah, and then one has to fix this problem yeah. where we could have just fixed it, you know? But it's and also then- the... I think what it does is... It's like when you said when you were on the side of the mountain and then you got up there and you realized no one was coming to get you and you were the only one who was going to get up there is the accountability. Like, and that's what ultra running and endurance sports teaches you is the, the accountability. Like, and then that applies to any aspect of life. If you want to be successful in business, well, how are you going to be successful if you're not accountable to yourself? Mm. Right? If you want to be a great father or if you want to be a great husband... Who's going to do that? You are. And you're accountable for your own actions. So it, you know, so it all starts to link together. And so the accountability that starts in, on the trail or the accountability that starts in the training then starts to filter into your other aspects. And that's where the discipline comes from. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah, I think there's also like for me, what I love in ultra running is that like you get slapped in the face with reality and the only way through like difficult situations that you find yourself in is a embracing the reality that you're in like you can't fool yourself out of a situation and then the other thing is like building on your accountability point is that like you you realize where you have agency and you realize that when you make moves in a certain situation and you make the right moves like a terrible situation can get better and you can make progress but if you make the wrong moves you can make a situation worse or you completely take yourself out of it. So for me, like part of what took me into the ultra running journey was that I needed to build a belief again in my own agency and that I could take responsibility for what was wrong in my life. And like all of these ultra endurance events that I've entered into, and I'm still very like new to this game, like have allowed me to take back a sense of a understanding that like life can be hard but b it's given me a lot of confidence to be like 
like I can actually do things and make progress and be okay and survive, you know? Totally. Whereas I think like before that, it was just, I would get, you'd almost flustered or panicked and then you back away from negative emotion or you run towards comfort and you try to pretend that situations you don't exist in your life when they do. And like avoiding problems isn't going to help anyone. And you do absolutely nothing to like get towards your goal. Because you just completely pull back and then you have to start again. Whereas like it'll teach you to how to pull back, you know, when to pull back. I mean, because the destination and success is not A to B. It's not like linear. Like it's, you're going to have to pull back. There's going to be parts where you can push harder but there's a lot of parts where you need to pull back. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of outside stresses that people have to deal with. It's not like, I mean, these people are not professional athletes. They can't, I can't expect to, they're not textbook. You know, they have girlfriends, they have boyfriends. They have a life. They have a life. <laughs> they, have, they have a boss that tells them to work till fucking 8 p.m. They got a boss that gives them deadlines and stress. You know what I mean? It's not so easy. And, you know, most of these people, like, it teaches you, like, life is about being consistent, you know? Be consistently good, then fucking, like... Occasionally great. Occasionally fucking great. And you see that, you see it with a lot of people, you know, they, they will read a book or get motivated or be in a hard part of their life and from going from nothing and then they want to push and they can, and then they'll push and overdo it and they'll push three, three, four weeks and then they get injured and sick and then they, then they throw the toys out the cot and then they stop training and maybe start drinking and blah, blah, blah. And then when they start kind of feeling a little bit better, then they just fucking do the same thing yeah but they can't break that cycle they can't break that cycle and it's like some people you can't help them break that cycle because they just don't listen like you'll put put a 5k easy run and they'll go do a 15k because i had a stressful day at work but i mean you had a stressful day at work so you decided to add 15ks of stress on that and then essentially you have to watch them like bump their head unfortunately because you know, I just believe that... But you said, I think, you, I think you've mentioned it to me before. Because of your background and because of figuratively and literally being on the side of the road, you know, and then getting up from that, like basically being in the bottom, right? Mm. And then picking yourself up. You know that sometimes some people need to go through that you can't change that for them because maybe that's the best way for them to actually turn that corner and actually realize what they're doing with their lives. And I, I, like, I know that, I mean, I know that from a personal level. Like, I see, I mean, I've said to you before that, you know, like I said with Didier, obviously, I mean, I'm a running coach, but I have a lot of knowledge and that kind of stuff. I mean, I dragged myself out of a 14-year drug addiction and I've dealt with a lot of people a lot of my clients are drug addicts or alcoholics or, I mean, we're all addicts, right, to something. And, I mean, when I brought Didier on as a coach, like, I would see him, like, he started getting a little bit flustered and a bit, like, I could say burnt out, eh? Yeah, maybe a little bit. A little bit mentally burnt out. But, and, and I was asking him why, and he was like, no, this client's got a drinking problem. And I'm like, well, what the fuck's that got to do with you, bro? And he's like, no, like, I want to help them. And I was like, 
what do you know about helping people that's an alcoholic? And he's like, no, well, I mean, he's got his own issues and stuff. And I'm like, bro, don't, don't try and be like me. Okay, you are a running coach. You write running programs. And you're not a shrink. You're not a shrink. Yeah. You're, not, you're, not, you're not a shrink. I will give my clients advice. And I mean, some of them will say that it's the best advice they've had when they've been going to psychiatrists for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? But the problem is when, when I say something, I will, I will try help someone. And I've helped a lot of people, right? But I've also, I've also tried to help people and they've, I've watched them crumble. And I have taken that personally before. But the only thing I've learned now is, you know, as an ex-addict or as someone who's been from where I've been, do you know what I mean? It's my duty to tell you what will help you, but it's your fucking duty to do it. And if you don't want to do it, you can end up on the fucking road. I won't care because that's your fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. Do you understand? But someone like him, he will take it personally. He will like, it will, it'll hurt him. Do you understand? But I can sit with a drug addict or an alcoholic and tell them exactly what to do. And if I tell you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days or go do the 12-step program and you tell me, nah, I know better, go for it, brother. You know what I mean? Go for it. Okay, don't call me crying. Like, I've done my part. Do you understand? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like when you're coaching people. I mean, I can write the program, but if you don't want to do it properly and you get injured, I mean, then you can come to me and we can fix that or... You can try and fix it yourself if you know better, but... But I think that's, at least from, from what I've seen with mindset movement, and I think that's what resonates with a lot of your clients, and it's quite unique for what you guys are doing, is because, because of your background and because you're coming in from this different angle where you're saying, look, I can help you, you know, through endurance or through ultra running or whatever it is, to find a way, but the way is going, still going to be your way. But I can help you along the way. But I think that resonates with a lot of people because you don't actually have that out there right now because it's not authentic enough. Because you, I mean, you know this, you've been in the fitness industry, you know, pretty much your whole life. It, it, and it goes for anything that you do. It's the authenticity that starts to become more important, especially now. When people look at things and they're like, okay, who's actually walked the walk? Right? If this person is trying to tell me something or giving me advice or trying to sort my life, who is, what has he actually done himself? And I think what, what you guys are doing so well with Mindset Movement is that you're basically standing there saying, uh, we've done it. Yeah. You know, we've done it in every aspect of our life. I've, I've, gone, I've come out of being a drug addict. I've gone into the endurance thing. I've used that to turn my life around. I've... I've gone from being in the gutter to being a better person. I've gone from being on the side of a mountain to climbing a mountain. Like all that kind of stuff is now resonating with people because it's authentic. Yeah, you, can't, you can't force them. I mean, we, we, we've, I think my, what my vision is, is to facilitate, facilitate things where they can make the choice. You know what I mean? Like we have this 12 hour darkness camp where you just go. All you have to do is go for as long as you, for 12 hours. And I don't give a fuck if you go 10 Ks. I don't care if you go 100 Ks. The name of the game is to go for 12 hours, you know? And you're obviously gonna, you're gonna fall apart. You yeah, know that. At some stage. You're gonna fall apart and it's dark and it's cold. 
Do you know what I mean? It's freezing. Some, some, one year we just had mud. This year I made them go through a mud swamp, but the one year it was so mud. Like, you, you couldn't run without falling, okay? And, you know, people get there and they're just like, oh, I'm going to do 100 Ks in 12 hours. I'm going to do all of this. And their dreams just get shattered. And, and that's where you see, like, what are these people made of? Because everyone's got a fucking plan until they get punched in the face, yeah. right? As Mike Tyson says. And what are you going to do when you get punched in the fucking face, right? What are you going to do when your ego gets taken and you're looking at, and it's six hours and you've only done 25 kilometers because you're sliding everywhere? Do you know what I mean? Are you going to carry on or are you going to, oh no, this didn't work out for me, I'm going to pull out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, my strongest belief is like, you know, you're going to create a habit if you do that. If, if you're going to pull out every time something doesn't go your way, like I know a lot of these pros, like at, at maybe it's like 20 Ks if they're not feeling good, they won't finish the race, they'll pull out. You know what I mean? And I mean, cool, but what is that teaching you about your life? Like, are you just saying that you don't finish it? Like, so when something hard goes in your life, what is going to be your default? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you, if you get to 10 hours or nine hours or 12 hours of darkness or any of our camps and you fight and you choose to just walk, maybe like me, two meters and collapse until the end, what the fuck is that going to do to your mentality the next day when you wake up? Nothing will phase you. Nothing. Nothing that happens hard in your life. I mean, I remember when after all of this, it's like, Jenna comes in in the shower and she's like, babe, there's this virus and people are closing down and I think the gym's closed and like they don't know what's going to happen and people are dying. And I literally, you can ask her, my answer was, cool, now we'll separate the fucking men from the boys. That's a, th that was my mindset. Totally. And she was just like, and she literally just calmed the fuck down and went, huh? I was like, so fucking what, bro? Yeah. Like, but that was from hanging around you guys and doing all that stuff. That was my default answer straight up. You know, that's so funny. I mean, it's, it's so funny you mentioned that because the moment COVID hit, um, because you've gone into that mindset now where you, you don't look at a challenge anymore as an obstacle, you look at it as an opportunity. Like, honestly, like my, it was the same thing. Like you can even ask like all the people in the endurance community or ultra running, we immediately went into like, okay, how do I turn this into something better? It yeah. turned into an opportunity. For me, up till, I, I firmly believe that COVID was almost in a way, like obviously a lot of people died and a lot of people suffered. So you don't take anything away from that. But if you're still the same person you were before COVID, you just lost one of the greatest opportunities that may have come in your lifetime mm. to make a significant change in your life. Because that's what it, ta it taught us so much in terms of you know, what we can and cannot do, what businesses you can start, what you can become, which is this job for you or what is this job not for you, how you can survive your business, how you can survive. It, like, it's, taught, it's taught so many lessons that if people have gone back to the way they were before COVID, I think they lost, they lost a great opportunity. And you've seen it. Like, you mindset movement is because of COVID. Oh yeah, I started in COVID. Exactly. But now look like, at that. I mean, it was like just hanging around all you guys, like when all the races got cancelled and all that. 
It was just such a default. So, Rob, I mean, we were supposed to go to Sri Lanka, I think, 10 days after they closed everything. And Rob was like, oh, Sri Lanka's done. And I, I literally messaged Matrix and Johnson and I said, will you guys lend me a treadmill? I want to run my race in my lounge. And they were like, cool, how far is the race? And I'm like, 250Ks. They were like, are you fucking crazy? And I'm like, well, I've trained for this thing. And they gave me a treadmill and I, I ran it in my lounge, just like staring at the wall. But that was my mentality. That was like, you're not going to stop me, bro. Like that I was trained. Quite, I, would, I mean, I remember those stories of yours. That was, that was, that was some gnarly stuff. <laughs> you were just, because it's COVID, everyone's in lockdown. You're just running on this treadmill, just like, just like those, you know, those experiments with the rat is just going, the mouse is just on the, you're literally that. And fucking Jenna, I mean, Jenna, Jenna is like, imagine watching someone run 250Ks <laughs> and just being with them the whole time. She saw every emotion. Like, I'll be singing, I'll be punching the treadmill, I'm vomiting off the treadmill, I'm crying, and next minute I'm singing, next minute my hands there, I'm like, I fucking got this, and she's just sitting there going, what the fuck did these people go through in these races? <laughs> she, she can honestly tell you what people go through in running for 250 fucking kilometers, because she saw everything. And that's the thing, like, um, uh, when COVID happened, I was, that was the year I was supposed to go to UTMB, right? That's what I trained for. That was my biggest goal. Like, okay, I'm going to this. I mean, obviously everyone knows about UTMB. And I was like, and then everything gets shut down and the race gets canceled. So I was like, all right, but I've trained for something. So I'm going to, I'm going to utilize for something. So I, that's why I went to Marcus and I said, let's go run 200 kilometers in the desert. Cause I've trained for it. And you know, <laughs> It was still August 28th, which is like the hottest day in the summer. It was like 50 degrees. And I, I chose to do 200 kilometers. And then that experience is one of the greatest experiences of my life. But it's because we're not afraid to not only put a challenge out there, but be okay with whatever the circumstances are going to be. Like in the moment, and you learn from it. Like you... People might think like, oh, these guys are, t are, are tough. Um, no. You know, just adaptable. You, yeah, you we just break adaptable. down and cry all the time. Yeah. You know, but it's because now we, our minds have come to the point where when things are breaking down, you're like, okay, how do I get through this moment to the next moment? Right? If it's too hot, how am I going to get to the next moment? If my legs are uh, breaking or my knees are done, how am I going to get... And just that mentality of getting to the next moment, getting to that next step, it starts to, I feel like now, at some point, if you keep doing this, then something within you starts to open up. And then you're like, wow, I didn't, I never knew mm. this part of me existed. And that's what makes it so special because then you start to see things about yourself that you never thought was possible. I mean, it's just levels. Like, it's totally. Just, I remember looking, <coughs> sending... I've, I've looked back on my phone now. You can see I've sent pictures to Jenna. I'm like, there's a little blister on my toe. And I'm like, check it, there's blister on my toe. And then it's like, when I did 13 peaks, the whole, I mean, I showed you yesterday, yeah, my whole, whole bottom of my foot came off. I mean, that's what happened to you in the desert. And it's like, and I, 
I never sent that to one person. <laughs> so it's like, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? But like every time you go through something, it just becomes the new norm. It just becomes easy. And what, what would have broken you when you started, you know, like, I mean, I train a lot of clients and then I will, I, I have to deal with their, their whole journey as they go. And Especially when they're starting from the beginning. And I have to, yeah. like, I have to like, be patient. I, I mean, I am myself, but I also like have to be like, Dude, that's not a blister. <laughs> like, that's not a blister, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Or your leg's not that sore. Or you're not that tired. Do you know what I mean? But to explain that to these people in that part of their journey, they don't understand. They just think you're a dick. But I can tell you now, it's like, I mean, you could probably vouch for it. It's like, if you look back three years ago where you were, you'll think you're an idiot, bro. <laughs> what was I whining about? Like, am I joking? You know, we, when we give a client their first back-to-back -back long run, they think that we try to They post it. about it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you'll get, you'll get like 500 Instagram stories about how they did this. It's like the greatest victory of their life. And then like three years down the line, they're doing like 100K training runs and they don't even post yeah. one thing. It's like, it's just a Saturday for yeah. them. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a Saturday. And but I mean, you know, it's amazing to watch this stuff though, because you like you literally watch them grow. It's totally. like, I mean, Mark that ran with you told me, no, I didn't do my Monday run because I had a blister on my foot. And then he runs bloody what 18 hours with you, like three months later. I mean, how's that for growth? Like, and I haven't heard about a blister again because I teased them about it for about two months. Like, God forbid you get a blister, man. Like, <laughs> But you know, the other point you really mentioned, which is kind of very important in this journey, is that, and the accountability part of it as well, is that you still need a coach. Like a lot of this stuff, like people think, you know, they might listen to this podcast and they were like, oh, this is amazing. And they have, for whatever, like they have an athletic background. They, they think they're fit. Mm. So they're like, oh, I'll go do this. I'll go run 100 or whatever. But you have to realize that coaching is so important and being in the right community is so important because that at every stage that we've all gone through, we've had a coach. And in, in all these dark moments, we've had a coach. Like me and you are similar because we've had the same coach, Marcus, who's just been, you know, he's a special person because he knows, because he's done it himself and he's got a methodology that he applies to all his clients but in a lot of the situations that we've been in, if it wasn't for him being there as a coach, because obviously he's walked the walk and he's authentic and we listen to him, we couldn't have done it without him. Like, I mean, the, the, the story that I, uh, uh, one of my best stories about Marcus is that same, the year of the lockdown when I decided to do 200 kilometers in, in, in the Dubai desert, um, so the plan was there's a bike track outside Dubai, about 30 minutes away, called Al Qudra. And it's a 50 kilometer bike track. And so the plan was to just do f like four loops. Sounds very easy on paper, right? Mm. But when you get there and it's 50 degrees, everything gets uh, shot. And like the same thing happened my, on, in the, on the first day. It took me about 14, 15 hours to do 100K because of the heat because my body temperature just wouldn't cool down. So what Marcus figured out was that every three kilometers, I'd stop and he'd just dump 
ice water over my head just to bring my core temperature down. And that's the only way I was surviving the heat. But was the byproduct of that was because of the amount of water that was being dumped over my head, the water was starting to pool at the bottom of my shoes. Mm. So my feet were just becoming water. So they were starting to peel off. So then on my left foot, I had this massive blister. So around the 80 kilometer mark, when I just took a step, it just went mm. and the blister just popped and now I'm just running on, on raw skin. Yes. So I get to 100 kilometers and it's the middle of the night. I mean, you've been to Al-Qudrakal, so you know, like it's, it's the middle of the desert. There's no one there. It's just monotonous. It's just no one there. It's like, it's, so it's, it's just Marcus, Rob, um, and me. And so f I'm basically done. Like I realize, I'm like, forget 200. I've barely survived 100. I'm going home. So Marcus sees me and he says, the first thing he says to me is like, go just, just go take a shower. So I go into one of those bathrooms and I just stand under the shower. Just, you know, and I'm like, whatever. Like, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go home. <laughs> He's going to tell me to go home. <laughs> so I come out, but... Because I'm in so much pain mm. and my mind has basically convinced me that, okay, this is, I mean, who's going to go beyond this pain? You're an idiot. So just sh shut the charade and let's just all go. So my mind has convinced me now that the moment I walk out of the shower and I talk to Marcus and I tell Marcus I'm done, Marcus is going to be like, okay, finish, everyone go home. Right? Because your mind is, your mind is in control right now. And this was one of my key learning moments, like very similar to what you went through on the side of the mountain. So I've convinced myself that as, when I sit down with Marcus and I say, um, I'm done, Marcus is like, great job, let's go home. So we sit down and I say, Marcus, I'm done. First of all, he doesn't say anything. He almost wants me to repeat it again. So he's like, what? He's like, I'm done. And he's like, done with what? <laughs> and you have to, like, when he said that, because my mind was in this, in this level or zone where I was convinced that this thing was finished, the moment he said, done with what, is something triggered in my mind. And I was like, I literally, I sat back up. Like, my head snapped back. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> it's just like, and he's like, you're done with what? And I'm like, well, yeah. And then I started to make all the excuses. And he's like, first thing he said to me is like, what did you think was going to happen? You decided to run 200 kilometers in the middle of the desert at the peak of the summer. What exactly did you think was going to happen? Like you thought you were just going to run this thing. Like never, no one like, you know, you don't do these things without something happening. Yeah. Right? So now something, is, <laughs> now something has happened. So you're just going to like, it doesn't make, and so my mind just started, like literally this another level started working. I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. And that's where the coaches are so brilliant. And because Marcus had done it before, because Marcus had been in that headspace before, he knew that all it takes is just this one question or one gesture that just flicks a switch. And then he just said to me, he's like, and then he got into more deeper stuff. Like, because obviously when I run, I run, I run for my charity, I run for my late daughter, and I have this whole story. And then he got into that, right? Then he was like, but you're not even running for yourself. You're running for something else. And then you start to realize, and then, and so then I, I sat back, but now, 
I was like, okay, but, now, but my body's still breaking down, right? So now we know, okay, this is going to be, it's not a run anymore, it's, it's survival. And Marcus, again, being the amazing coach that he is, he knew that he now had to basically extract a hundred kilometers out of my body and out of my, out of my legs, my feet were gone. So what he'd always done was he'd brought the supplies in, like the painkillers and the Red Bulls. So mm-hmm. that already, so the first thing he said to me was, um, you need to go to bed. You just sleep, you just close your eyes. So I was like, okay. And now I knew, like, I, I was like, okay, now that I've taken this, I've crossed the threshold, we're going somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know what, where this is going to go. <laughs> but I know it's going to be very messy. Because I know my feet are done. My legs are shot. My mind is scrambled. The heat is, it's one o'clock in the morning. There's no one there. It's just Rob. Rob's like, I'm, I'm going. He's like, he, he, he realizes like, this is on Marcus now. This is just between Marcus and Akbar now. Really? So he's, like, yeah, he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mar- so I go to bed on the side of the road, like next to Marcus's car. Like next to a zoo, like that, uh, remember that little restaurant? In uh, where the, everyone starts their bike rides. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I lay down next to the car and I go to sleep. And obviously I'm not sleeping, I'm tossing and turning. My feet are, like, the pain is just... And he said, I'll, I'll give you an hour. And right on the dot of our, an hour, he nudges me. And all he does is he just throws a red bullet in my lap. He's like, drink this. And I, I've, I've told this story a few times and I'm like... I'm so grateful for him for what he did to me because that, those moments changed my entire perspective on life. So he throws the Red Bull, I drink the Red Bull, then he throws my shoes at, in front of me. He's like, put your shoes on. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm just a machine now. I'm just putting my shoes on, drinking the Red Bull, painkillers, take the painkillers. And then from there, like, there's, a, there's a loop where you run 10 kilometers and you get to a mosque. Mm-hmm. And then you turn, so he's like, just run to the mosque. It's 10 kilometers. He's like, I'll meet you halfway. So at five kilometers, he, I, I mean, I don't even know how long the five kilometers took me. Didier knows because I just walked too slow. But <laughs> <laughs> all day, mate. Yeah, all day. So I get to the <laughs> five. The sun came out. <laughs> the five. Well, the sun up was down. No, no, it was still down. Oh, the yeah. five kilometer comes up. He's Marcus is there. He fills up my water. Then he's like, get to the next five kilometers. But this second five kilometers took even longer. Now the, so I know now what time it is because it's the call to prayer. And if you know, like, the morning call to prayer is around between 4 or 5 in the mm-hmm. morning. So the call to prayer comes out, so I'm like, oh. So between 12 to 4, imagine that. Jeez. 10 kilometers. So get we, to, we, we've seen it. We don't have to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so at the mosque, Marcus has fallen asleep because I'm taking so long. So I get to 10 kilometers and he's like, okay, turn around, go back. So now I go back and now, but now the sun's coming up. So I'm starting to get some energy to so start to run a little bit, but my feet are gone now. So I run to the, so now I've done 20 kilometers and it's six, seven in the morning, but I got so 80. So you went 20 in. Oh, yes. So I got 80 kilometers to go. And now it's the, again, the heat of the day. So we were like, okay, the only way we're going to do this is three kilometer loops. Three kilometer out, three kilometer back. But then in the middle of the day, it's 50 degrees again. Yeah. So now I'm doing a kilometer half, kilometer back. I come back, he dumps ice water over my head. But now we're in the zone. Because now we've just made this commitment, right? 
He knows what he's doing and I know what I'm doing. And now we're just like, we're clicking the kilometers. Painkillers are coming in, Red Bulls are... People are coming now. So people are hearing now what the fuck's going on. <laughs> it's like these two madmen in the middle of the desert during COVID are just trying 200 kilometers. So my family and my friends are coming. Because they're like, we need to see this. It's like <laughs> yeah. no one's ever heard, like seen this shit before. So now people are coming down. Now, so then I start to get more energy because now my friends and family are coming. And so now they're like, okay, let's run with them. And then just, and now that's where the beauty of coaching and community comes in because now the people are, so now I'm getting this extra lift. So I get from 120 to 140, then I get to 160, but it's still, you know, slow going. Then I get to 170 and now I get, a, I get because 170 is the UTMB mark, which was my original race. So now I'm like, all right, 30 kilometers. So now we start ticking that down, but we're still going. And now it's just like, we just got to get this thing done. And now it's like around, we've gone past midnight. So I'm at um, 193, 194. So I've got six kilometers left. So Mark is like, okay, run three kilometers out and three kilometers back. And by that time, Chris and some of the one or two other guys have come over. And so we're all running together. So we run three kilometers. Well, I, I walk three kilometers. Mm. Let's put it that way. Then we turn around and now I'm like, okay, I've got three kilometers left. And I'm like, now nah, I just got to go for it. And I just start slowly shuffling. And then that shuffle turns into a little bit of a run. And then I start running and I start running and then everyone's running with me. And then the last kilometer, I just went. And you, I have my, like, if I show you the pictures of my feet afterwards, you would think like, no, forget someone running. No one should be walking. And that last kilometer is the fastest kilometer of that 200 kilometers. And it just shows you what, what, is, what is possible once you keep breaking that barrier down. And that's why people like Marcus and me, people like yourself, the coaches who've gone through it, because you've experienced it, you just know what to say or what to do to keep breaking those boundaries down. And so those, for everyone who's listening, who's thinking of going on this journey, you gotta get that person in your corner. Because that's how you're going to break those boundaries down. Something I wanted to ask you, and it ties, and you mentioned it, that Marcus connected you to something larger than yourself and that helped you get out of that hole, right? When you're in 100Ks. And this is something that I see that like, we get a lot of people that sign up and they want to run, but their pursuit is not in service of something larger than themselves. It's, it's ego-driven often, they think. I want to run 100Ks and that's going to look so amazing and I'm going to be such a cool person or whatever. I'll post about and those people always crumble. Like they never achieve their goal unless something changes. And if there's somehow this transfer into running in pursuit of something that is larger than yourself. And I just, maybe you could say why you think that's so important. It's, I think again, it's one of my key lessons from this ultra journey that I've I'm on now, and again, it ties in with your overall life, is that at some point, you have to find a purpose for your life. And that purpose has to go beyond you, right? It, ha it can't be just about you, because that, as you said, then that really isn't a purpose. And that purpose is actually, because it's ego-driven, it, it doesn't have that momentum. When you have a purpose that's bigger than you, that goes beyond you, 
it has a momentum of its own. Like it's so, in easy, my, it's easier to let yourself down. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 fucking, you can, you can it's lie easy. To yourself, yeah, it's easy to convince yourself that I can give up. It's okay to give up. I'm just doing this for me. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Fuck it. You know, like we, I mean, I've heard a lot. You know, oh, this doesn't matter. Whatever, like that. But when it's someone else involved, I mean, like for instance, when I did that tank worth two hundred k through also through fucking the desert here, through the Karoo. Also 50 degrees. I mean, it's on my wedding anniversary. And I asked my wife, can I do it? And I said to her before, you know, I'm going to fucking finish this for you. And I mean, people know, like I had Achilles problems and I only really trained six weeks for this, but I committed to this race and I thought, fuck, I can do this because my mindset is I can fucking do anything, you know? And at 40K, it's like I was fucked. But, you know, going through those two days of running in that heat, like, I mean, it took me 46 hours. But my, my main goal was I wanted to get to 100 and, the 160K check mark. Uh, it had Wi-Fi <laughs> because there's no Wi-Fi there. Yeah. And at 160Ks, I wanted to say happy anniversary to my wife. And that fucking drove me. And I went and I went. And, you know, it's like, I went, because you start at 4 p.m. I went through the first night, through the next day. And I think I got there. I don't know. I got, I think it took me 30 hours to get there. And, or 36 hours, I fuck, I can't remember. But I got there and that, and that when that gate was closed, I was ready to break that gate open. Because it wasn't. That was, it wasn't driving me to get to the end. It was driving me to get to my fucking wife to say happy anniversary because she's letting me do this. Totally. Like, I wanted, I would, you can ask my crew, like, I would have broken through that fucking gate. But luckily enough, we could pick up the free Wi-Fi from the gate. And I sent her a message. And then I'm like, let's just fucking go. And I kept going. And I, and, um, I remember... It was like a fucking movie. Um, I could probably get emotional, but... That's why we're here. <laughs> as I... Yes, no, but as I, I... I remember this. I can tell you where the sign is. There's a fucking sign at 180Ks. As I passed 100Ks, there was a sign saying Citrus Doll. And I passed it and I looked at my watch and I was on 180Ks. And I just stopped brew and I was like, I can't fucking carry on going. Like, I, I can't. It's 27 more, because it's turning, I was 27 more Ks. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this, bro. Like, I, I'm, I'm fucked now. Like, I can't carry on doing this. It's so hot. Like, I'm fucked. Like, I can't. And I see the silver polo driving. And all I can think to myself is, what idiot would drive a polo on this road because that road is famous for tearing cars apart. Like, like the cars that were behind us, there was a lady that lost like two of her BF Goodridge or four by four Land Cruiser fucking tires <laughs> on that road. And I see this polo driving towards me and I just, I'm thinking who the fuck would drive a polo? I mean, would drive a, po- a polo on this road? Are they mad? And then I looked down on the floor and then, because, I mean, I've been going now for like 40 hours, bro. 
And then I, I looked down at the floor because I'm like, I can't fucking carry on. And actually, my Chris, one of my crew got out to like come and like grab me on the shoulder. And I was like, that's fucking Jen up here. Like, that's the only fucking crazy person that will drive her, like the car in this thing. And as the car comes close, it's her. And I just, I just burst into tears. I'm just like, you have to carry on going. Like, now you fuck. Like, you can't, you can't stop. You promised this woman you're going to finish this race. And she gets out and chaos. My dog gets out and starts licking me. Bro, I ran. Boom. I clapped it <laughs> six minutes a K for 10 Ks. And then as I started, like, as I started messing up, like started getting, losing that, Joe Kepler came and ran with me like 10Ks. And I mean, I remember there's a picture of me sticking my tongue out because Jenna gave me an ice cream. She bought me an ice cream from the shops. I mean, there's no shops around there. And literally I had this ice cream and I was feeling good and I'm like, do you have another ice cream? She's like, no, I only bought you one. I'm like, you came all the way to the desert like bought me one fucking ice cream. I was just like, okay, cool, whatever. But they'll give me ice and I was putting it in my hand. And then Joe Kepler left me and I had seven Ks left. And then I completely fell apart. Like I fell apart. And my feet were gone. Like they were gone. And I, I walked, I think another four, walk around like another four Ks and then it was a climb. Okay. Was this climb? And my, 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 I've never felt that amount of pain. So I couldn't feel my toes anymore. And, but all I had was my wife there. And I just told him, can I just sit down for a bit? And I took my shoes off and I was wearing those bloody toe socks. <laughs> and my feet were so swollen that they cut all the blood in my toes. So when I came off, like it, it cut the circulation so bad. So I'd lost all the feeling in my toes and I just had all these blisters. And I said to my wife, just give me an injection, like an injection syringe. And I just popped every, I was just popping, like just hitting my toes. They were just bursting, like just popping, popping, popping. I pulled my tape off and pulled the thing like that just to give my feet. Like, and then I put some shoes on and I had three more Ks. And I think, and I think that three Ks took me like over an hour. <laughs> Right, but I couldn't stop because my wife was there, and exactly. I promised this woman. And I still said to her, like, you said to her, like, as a joke, like, why did you have to come there? Like, that last 27 <laughs> K is really like it still wasn't as bad as Cat Springs because I mean, that was the worst thing I ever went to, but it's like, but it's what you said, it's that purpose. It's but if it was for me, I would have quit. If it was if it was for me or me trying to prove myself and get followers on Instagram or try and show like I'm hardcore, I could easily have quit. Fuck that. I don't need to prove myself to anyone. When was I prove myself to anyone? You know what I mean? I was a drug addict. I used to live on the street. Now like I've got a business and I'm happy and I've got the best wife. Like I don't prove anything. Totally. But I promised that that woman that I was gonna finish this on our anniversary. Do you know what I mean? And I, like it just And that's like to add to that, like, Didier, what you were asking, like, the purpose, it has to go beyond you. So, like, you know, I mean, not to say, like, a lot of people run and then they, they select charities, right? And say, oh, I'm going to run for this charity. Okay, that's a nice gesture. But what does that charity really mean to you? Like, it's got to have a personal connection. Because other, 
then you're again do like oh I'm running for a charity like it, you you again doing it to just push your push show your something yeah, but if it doesn't if it doesn't mean anything you're most probably going to quit on that as well right but if you're running for a purpose that is deeper than you or bigger than you or means a lot to you then you know you get that extra source of energy and then you just keep going because of that and and once you learn that in the ultra life and the ultra journey and then you replicate that in your personal life then you start to see the benefits of that because then you see okay i have a purpose in my ultra life what is my purpose in my real life like why am i here for right everyone has a purpose like in the, in today's day and age because of technology everything we've got so caught up in our own lives and a lot of it is so ego driven we've forgotten that actually a lot of us well the majority of us have a have a purpose in life and it's not to make money or that I got the biggest house or all that materialistic stuff no there's a deeper purpose in all of us and we've lost sight of that and like once you tap into that and you're like okay what is my what is why am i actually here why you didn't i mean that's what oh. and then that just opens up another you know completely different channel and to, how do you answer that question for yourself so for me it's quite uh, quite simple like for me because i lost my first daughter to a rare born disease in pakistan sorry. sorry to hear that i didn't know actually yeah so um we we had we had adopted a do- uh, a girl from pakistan and um we when we brought her back to dubai within 4 months she got really sick and she passed away and we were like both danny and i we were like obviously when something like that happens you're just like what the hell just happened right i mean yeah. we went out there to you know to save a girl to because in pakistan especially um a lot of baby girls are abandoned because it's a cultural thing right a boy is considered an asset but a baby girl is considered a liability because in um in eastern culture you're actually supposed to marry your daughter off but you're supposed to pay for the wedding yeah it's just this weird so culture financial becomes a financial so it's burden. a financial burden <laughs> yeah. so when you have when so f- in the villages of pakistan especially in the mountains when you have a baby girl they're like oh that's a burden so they they abandon them but obviously when you have a baby boy oh he's going to he's going he's going to be the next breadwinner so in pakistan we have this we have this problem with a lot of baby girls are abandoned so me obviously being a pakistani i was like obviously when i get older and i have an opportunity i'm going to my first my first child is going to be adopted mm-hmm. and i that's one of the reasons why danny and i fell in love and got married was because danny and i were very similar in that viewpoint because she always said i want to adopt so we adopted this beautiful girl from northern pakistan her name was zara and we brought her back to dubai and she's our first child and everything and but within 4 months she's dead you like just like what but then we once we got over the shock we like we need to figure out what actually happened and we remember that when she got sick and we took her to the hospital the first thing that the doctor said to us was what was the result of her heel prick test and we were like heel prick test because we're new we're new parents so we have no idea what this is so apparently what happens is when every time when a baby is born especially in, in the developed world and where you have a decent healthcare system every time a baby is born they just take a small sample of blood from the baby's heel and you just send it off to get it tested just to make sure that the baby's fine like there's no abnormality something like that but it's especially now it's just taken for granted like no one even knows like you know babies are born test is done 
and everything is fine. Unless something happens, then you tell the parents. But in a place like Pakistan, they never had that facility. So Zara never had that heel prick test. So we never actually knew what was wrong with her. And what was wrong with her was because she came from the mountains, she had this metabolic disorder where she actually cannot have milk. Mm. So we didn't know that. And obviously as a newborn baby, we we're feeding her milk and she's, yeah. that milk is actually killing her. But if you had known from that test, we would obviously given her a different kind of nutrition. So we were like, okay, what is this heel prick test? What is... So we just started researching and we found out what this thing is. So we were like, okay, we need to do something. And so then obviously, that's why we say like she came to our lives for, that was her purpose in life. She only came into our lives because she was supposed to push us into this journey where we set up this charity in Pakistan where now we provide free newborn screening to babies born in Pakistan. So we're like the first charity that does that. And to date, we've done about 60,000 babies. Jeez. You know, free of charge. That's amazing. And just to give you an idea of how important this is, the first baby we ever tested, like we got this machine from, like it was a very expensive machine, but the company that manufactures it, they never got into Pakistan. So we, they were like, we've never had an opportunity. We can't believe you're doing this. We'll give you the machine. Mm-hmm. And you know, then things open up to you. Like you yeah. can't even imagine half a million dollar machine and they just donated it to us. So we get this machine and we like start. So this doctor hears about this new charity and he had this mother or this uh, couple who would always come to him with their babies and they, the baby would, bo- would, uh, would be born and then they die a few days later. So they'd done it four times. So they lost four babies. So this mother was uh, pregnant with her fifth child. Mm-hmm. So she's like, so the doctor's like, she hears, hears about our charity. So he calls us and he's like, uh, can you do a heel prick test on this baby? So the baby's born, we do a heel prick test and we immediately find out that the mother and the father are genetically not compatible to have babies. So that baby that was just born died as well. So those, wow. those two people were never supposed to have babies. And obviously the doctor told the parents, and you know what the parents said, because they're obviously simple people. Yeah. They thanked us because they said, you've finally given us the answer. Because before they had no idea, right? Yeah, and their children yeah. were just They're dying. just dying and they had no idea. But now they knew, okay, we actually cannot have, biologically we can't have kids. So that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it has impact. So then, so that's what we've done. So when I go on these crazy runs and up on the side of the mountain or I'm going through this pain or I'm going through this suffering, I'm actually not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the suffering of these children or, you know, this, of this charity that we're trying to do. And so it's, it's beyond me. And I think that's when if, some, if, if people are lucky enough to find this story or find something that is beyond them or gives them a bigger purpose... Then you, then the, even the ultra runs that we go on, it's bigger than that, right? Yeah. It's just not a race anymore. It's because it's taking you somewhere else and you're contributing to society. And I think what you guys are doing with Mindset Movement is, is, is kind of like that, right? You're, you're contributing to society. You're, you're, you're giving people who might be completely lost an opportunity. You're giving back to the community, so it's a higher purpose, and that's what makes it special. Thanks. 
Yeah. Some, something that I didn't expect to find, like the, when I did for 13 peaks. So I had part of my motivation for doing it was that I wanted to go on this journey that reframed my relationship with emotion. And I had been in a, I'd come from dark times in my life. And during those dark times, I'd, re- I'd thought originally that I hate life and I hate myself and had gotten to a point where I realized that that wasn't true. Actually, that I saw some value in me that I wanted to explore. And so I pursued this journey that I thought would help me explore that. But what I didn't expect to find on, in the middle of 13 peaks, like when you're in the depths of pain and you're like, this is terrible, was a deep sense of love and compassion for myself and for what I was doing and a love for just life in general. And that sounds like something that you run for as well. And it's something you've written about. That's beautiful. And that's, and I, and I think that's what it is, right? When you find that, that higher purpose, it gives, it gives a lot of people inner peace. Mm. And that inner peace is where, you know, you find compassion, for yourself, compassion, love for yourself. And then what does that do? That just translates into love and compassion for others. It brings you closer to other people. Totally. Yeah, like I've it's something you can share. I mean, in our, in our community, like, you know, like, we never ask anyone. We'll tell people we're going to support this person or this is what's going on. We don't beg people to come, you know? But there's always those same people that are always there. And it's always the, the people that do, like, big things. Because they understand, like, the value in community. Do you know what I mean? And they understand, I mean... For me, I, I, I love it. I, I love watching people do things. Because I know what they're going through. And I love to see how they're going to react when the shit hits the fan. Because the shit's going to come. And I want to see what they do. And then I also want to see, like... Can I help them? Could I help this person like keep going? You know, like, I mean, the same as like Marcus with you. Like I had a guy, I mean, this guy, I just threatened him to hurry up. But I mean, he, he, he hasn't really mentally broke, really. Have I helped you that much? But like, I mean, I had a guy, Choppy, that did a hundred. Like, I mean, fuck, he's, he's a freak. But I mean, we trained for like, six weeks and he did a hundred miles. Like I made him do one six K loop for a hundred miles. And he started at probably five o'clock on a Friday night. So I went to work the whole day, start no sleep. Obviously, you know, like how Marcus does with us. And he ran and at like a hundred and I think it was 140 Ks. It was fucked. He was hallucinating, could obviously no sleep. You know, and same thing. Like, I mean, he came to me and he just like, you know, he was just like broken. And everyone was just like, oh, shame. Like he's tried hard, you know. Like these people don't know, you know. Like these people aren't ultra runners, you know. And I could hear people say like, oh, shame. Like he tried hard or whatever like that. And I was just like, whatever. And I walked up to him because he was walking. And I put my arm around him. And he's like, I'm, I'm fucked. I'm seeing things like, there's this giant cat that keeps following me. Because there's cows. He's yeah. like, my, my wife still said, what cat? She's like, the spotted cat. <laughs> and I was just like, 
was like, bro, you are done. Like, just cut. He's like, no, I don't want to stop. I'm like, bro, you are done. Like, just, just shut up. Like, we, we've, we've done our best. You are done. And he's like, really? I'm like, yo, come with me. I take him to the dam. I'm like, get in the dam. He gets in the dam. I bring him down. Take him. Jenna makes him a little bed on the floor. I'm like, lie down, bro, and just, just have a nap. He's like, are you sure? He's like, I just need to close my eyes. And I'm like, seven up. And he sleeps and I time him for 10 minutes. <laughs> and at 10 minutes, I shake him. I give him a Coke. I say, here's all your new clothes. You got to run six minutes of fucking K to break 24 hours. Let's go. He's like, sweet. Puts his new clothes on. I think he ran 5, 10 K okay, for the next like 20 Ks. And he way over broke uh, 24 hours. But it was like, and then people were like, geez, you know? Like I, I mean, I've had a few like with Danica also. Like I'm, I'm trying to tell people what to say to them and they just like, it oh, doesn't... I've tried, I've tried. I said that, I said yeah. that. And I put my shoes on, I'm like, okay, look, I'll show you. With Ethan and I ran with her and I started going, come, we're just going to get to that fucking tree there. I can't go anymore. I'm like, I'm asking you to go to a tree. We're just going to go to that tree. You've, you've run like 90 kilometers. Like yeah. That tree get is 100 tree. meters. And then I'm just talking, boom, boom. And then she gets to 100 k's or whatever. And Ethan's just like, how do you do that? And I, just, I just love it. Like I love to, you know, I love to watch these people because you learn a lot from it. And I think there's a lot of people in our community that, that don't understand that yet or maybe don't care to understand that. But you going to support these people doing these big things, like when you did that. I mean, these people all came. When I said, who wants to come and support you or run with you, they all vouched. They all said yes. They don't know you. Exactly. But they know, because they know from me, that they're going to watch you go through shit and they're going to watch how you're going to react and they're going to learn from that. Do you understand? And when you're watching people go through the shit, you learn from that. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, if you think blisters are bad and you see someone's whole foot going off, when you get a blister, you might approach it differently. Do you know what I mean? When you see, like, it's easy for me to tell clients, I tell all my clients, if you're going through a fucking rough time in the ultra, sit down for 10 minutes, time yourself, get in some sugar, relax, chill out, and at 10 minutes, get up and keep going. It's easy, in theory, to tell someone that. But when they're fucked, they're ready to tear that number off I'm, I'm fucked, I can't carry on. Carl said I'm going to sit down for fucking 10 minutes, that's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. But when they've seen someone do it, you know what I mean? When they've seen me put someone down for 10 minutes and they've seen it work, then they start to believe it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So when they're in that own instance for themselves, like they'll do it. Like I have some robots, like I mean I train some robots, like literally whatever I say, they will do it in the most hectic, he's one of them. Him, Miranda, it's a routine. They yeah. will, if I said to him, sit down for seven minutes and 28 seconds and then stand up, he will never question me why the fuck seven minutes. He'll just say, okay. And in his head, he'll believe like that's the magic number. Totally. And then at seven minutes, 28 seconds, he'll stand up and believe that he's going to be better now because I told him he's going to be better, right? And that's the thing, like it, it, it unlocks something in, within you which just takes that little bit of encouragement from the coach or someone who's been there because everyone knows it's there. It's just how you get to it. And there are different ways of triggering it. But the, mo but the more you start to do it, 
You know, it's like anything, it's like practice. Your mind starts to see, like, oh. Because, I mean, we all know it's the, it's the mind that's holding us back in anything, mm. right? Why we love this ultra journey is because we know that we have a beautiful mind, but actually it can be very detrimental to us because it actually stops us from achieving what we can achieve because the mind and the ego can actually stop you from actually becoming who you truly are. But then when, when the mind starts to see, okay, wait, we can keep going. There's no boundary. There's, you know, there's the next level, there's the next level, next next level. Then the mind even starts to be, believe in it. And once you start believing in it, that's when people do incredible things. 100%. Like, I've, I've got some clients that have zero talent and they literally win, win their ultra races. And it's like, if they just believe they can keep going. But on paper, you won't understand it. Yeah. And if I show you, like, how Kelly runs, you won't understand it. But when the shit hits the fan, that girl knows how to keep moving. And she's reached her t- talent level at 30K. <laughs> she's now got pushed. Most of these people, you know, they just run on their talents. And when they reach their talent, when they reach their talent level of like 30K, they don't have the fucking mentality to carry on. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Then everything falls apart. Like, I mean, it's all that thing. It's like, and I've, I've, I've experienced it over the last three years. It's like, the hardest people to train are the people that are talented because they, they don't have that work capacity or that mindset to push further. And they can only train to their talent level. And as soon as you push them over their talent level, they'll throw their toys out the cot, this is too hard, or I'm going to get injured, or blah, 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 blah. But these people that don't have talent, they understand, like, I'm not a talented person. I need to push Put mentally. In the work. I need to push mentally further. Like... How the fuck did I get to 50K? Nonetheless, now I'm at 70. I'm bonking at 80, but it's cool. Like, I can push through this. And then they win the race. And then they sit and, like, can't understand how they won the race. But I can understand it. Because talent can only take you so far. I think talent is probably the most detrimental thing to most people because talented people have weaker mindsets. Because everything comes too easy. They only have to do this. It's easy. You can run four minutes a K. Get someone who runs 7.30 K and build them up to like a 5.30 K. Exactly. Race those people on ultra. You fucked. Okay? Like, because they're, they're tractors. You know what I mean? They're tractors. They're not Ferraris. They're there, one gear, and they'll go, and they'll go. They're not there to look pretty or get Instagram likes or shares. <laughs> My best runners, I don't even know if they post about their fucking races. I think Kelly like wins a race. She doesn't even post. She doesn't care. Yeah. I also put it on her Strava to help my coaching business. And she was like, nah, I feel a bit stupid. <laughs> I was like, can you just put there that you won your 100K race? No, can I just rather say like, I had fun. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what I mean? And then <laughs> it's like all these other people, they'll write a... They'll come like in the top 20 and write like his whole brief about thanking their 500 sponsors. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's where it all comes down to what she's saying is the motivation. It's like incendiary motivation or extrinsic. It's like, what are you doing it for? Are you doing it like when you start a business, are you starting a business so you can have a Mercedes or are you starting a business to change people's lives? And I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up in the morning to change people's lives. I fucking love it. I love it. And whatever obstacle comes in my way, I don't care because I think that's fun. And what am I going to do now to better what I'm doing? 
What car do I have? I don't even know. Do I have a car? I do have a car. Pajero that's fucking broken. It's getting fixed. But it's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'll drive a Pajero. I'll drive a rental car that I'm driving now. I'll drive a fucking Polo. I don't care. I don't need a fancy car. Do you know what I mean? And I probably make like, I make enough money to buy a fancy car, but that's the fucking last thing on my mind. Do you know what I mean? I don't care about, I was thinking about the other day. Like, I don't want any involvement in my clients winning, you know. I think I actually wrote the thing, but then it didn't. It's just like, you know, when Miranda Fowl cracked her knee. Yeah. And I posted it on Instagram as a thing like, you know, your clients need you when they fall, not when they, not when they win. Totally. And I think a lot of people, are, they're there for the glory, you know. And, and a lot of pe- coaches and people messaged me after I posted that picture and said, it's so amazing how you're there for your clients. Like you fucking took your clients to the ER. But that's just what I do because I learned that from Marcus and them. Like that, that's how involved they are with their client, you know? And it's like, I just thought to myself, it's like, that's me. I'm the furthest person away from the podium when they win, but I'm fucking next to them in the shit. Do you know what I mean? Like when I will take the black, I will take, I'll take responsibility if they're not performing, if they're doing the work, right? Obviously there's cases where people don't do the work and I'm not going to take responsibility for that. But, you know, I will do whatever I can. If someone's willing to do the work, I will do whatever I can, you know, and I will take responsibility if they're not performing. You know what I mean? Because maybe there's something I'm looking and I'll, I'll, I'll go and fucking study and I will research. You can ask these people, my mind doesn't stop. It's actually a bit of a problem I'm trying to work on. Because I'll go through the night like thinking about this stuff. But, but that's how passionate you are. But that's how passionate I am, you know. But it's like I think a lot of people, they're just there for, they're just there for the glory. They're, like, they're there to stand on the podium. Like, nah, nah, nah. But it's like, I don't give a fuck about that. You did the work. I told you what to do. You did the work. This is on you. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is on you. Well done. Because there's a lot of other people that I tell what to do that don't fucking listen. There's a lot of drug addicts that I tell what to do, a lot, that won't listen, right? And like we were saying, that's what I know. That yeah. Like me, because I'm talking personally, like me, some people need to be on the fucking street smoking heroin, learning their whole fucking life, you know, sleeping with prostitutes before they wake the fuck up and go, hmm. Because I had my best friend, Rudy, paid for psychologists for me, sent me to the best psychologist, helped me get an apartment, and I threw that all in his fucking face. Because some people, no one's coming to save you. Until you, you get in I mean? the gutter. Because even when people come and save you, you're not going to fucking take it. You need, to, you need to do it for yourself. And then like, that taught me through that, you know? And I think that's what motivates me. I mean, you can ask him. Like, I'm a very, I don't care about money. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't care about money, even though I'll make money. I don't care about it. It's not what drives me to wake up in the morning. Like, I'll wear the same clothes every day. I mean, I don't give a fuck. Do you understand? Even though I've got Under Armour giving me clothes, I don't ever ask for it because I don't care. I just want these people to get better. I just want these people to leave mindset movement better than when they came in good way to wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i guess okay so we'll wrap that up for the first episode an hour and a half i mean akbar did say i should do a podcast because i like to talk 
I think it's the start of something special here as well. A lot of you talking, I think it'll be great. But thanks, mate. Thanks for being on my first podcast ever. Obviously, everyone around me knows how much you mean to me. And I probably wouldn't be where I am today if you didn't ask me, am I fucking coming or what? Yeah, I know. And I thank you for having me. But I have to say, like, it's one of those things in life, like... Um, we, I always knew we were going to have a connection after that episode. And for me to come back to Cape Town, you know, there was a reason for that because I knew I had to run that race and see what you're up to with mindset movement, which is quite special. So thank you for making me a part of that. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thanks, Akbar. We didn't even talk about the 100 milers, so we're going to have to have you back on. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Part two. <laughs> two hours. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye.